Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 190. 190. And our final episode of Oh my gosh. Guys. 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 Listen. Listen. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. We've got good news and we've got bad news. Yeah, we've got good news and bad. I guess the bad news is, yes, this is going to be our last episode of Dumb Love. Listen, we did 190 episodes. Four years. Four years. We made it through... A pandemic? We did. We made it through many deaths. (laughs) (laughs) Many deaths. Uh, Divorces. (laughs) Good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. Uh, And I think you guys who listened know that we have kind of run our course with dumb love. Yeah. And we love you all. We just, our heart has not been in it for a little bit. This has been the hardest decision ever to make because we love recording. We love you guys. We love interacting with all of you. We love that you guys love it. Yes. And it's what's kept us going. But as we've said before, it really pains us to do the true crime stuff anymore because our heart's just not in it. Yeah. Um, Not only because uh, is it, you know... It's so depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Not just sometimes, all All the time. time. (laughs) But it's just, uh, you know, it it just kind of hits differently at this point in our lives post-pandemic than it did. I think we've all changed as human beings (laughs) over the last four years. And it's just not quite... We just really can't stomach it anymore. Yeah, I think that we went from being... and, and. and I, you know, of course, we understand the interest in true crime. Like, we came into this as true crime fans. Like, we sure. listened to, we consumed a lot of true crime media. We listened to true crime podcasts, but it just changed for us. And now we just don't want to make a true crime podcast anymore. So, I know. I think, like, yeah. the misunderstanding with, like, I, I, has everybody sent this to you? Like, every family member of mine has sent me the article that's like, studies show that if you like true crime, you're a fucking psychopath. <laughs> and it's like, listen, I, like, it's not that I like the I, the gore of it all. Yeah. I hate it. I And I hate the suffering. And, like, I, right. I, I it's not that I find enjoyment in it. I used to, like, be interested in true crime because I was interested in human behavior. Yes. That fascinated yeah. me. And um, it was just that, and I just wanted to, like, understand how people could be so, yeah, d- d- like, without heart and, you know, heartless and diabolical and evil. Like, I just wanted to understand it. It wasn't like I was like, hell yeah, this is this fucking shit. And so, like, that, and that is exactly that why. That person got murdered so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and... It's uh, like, and that's why we always rounded it out with dumb love is because our point was to it, it, it prove to 
everyone that there's good in the world yeah and that like love conquers all and you know like love you know so um that's why we had the podcast but you know we um after four years i think we've run its it's run its course yeah but you guys we also have good news because this is not the end of our podcasting journey (laughs) we are not done with it we are going to be launching a new podcast yes, uh, called The Ridiculous. And if you loved when we did silly listicles, when we did, oh, here's the top 10 things of whatever, that is what that's, that's, what, that's what this new podcast is going to be. It's just going to be brain candy. It's going to be fun. It's going to, you know, be, do all the things that Jen and I love to do together, which is just tell each other stories and laugh and yeah. riff off each other. We're really tired of crying on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have I not bled for you people? <laughs> what else do you want? The only times I've cried on you. No. Uh, I, uh, no, I, like, obviously, like, yes, we just want to be, have, we just want to keep it, like, keep it fun and enjoyable, and we really hope you guys come along with us. Yeah. And that you enjoy it, too. Yes, so we will, we're gonna, this, this is a, a full episode, we actually recorded this episode several weeks ago, um, and it got lost in technology. Yeah. (laughs) Somehow, uh, I had to, like, I had to break it to Jen, I was like, uh, remember how we recorded that whole episode? <laughs> it's gone. It's gone, and I cannot save it. I cannot That's, bring it back. The funniest thing about that is I had already made my rounds of being like, hey, I mean, I said this, one, like, to my sister, <laughs> I said this one thing, and maybe it took a little too far, but blah, blah, blah. And, like, I had, I had already, like, and I told Jim, I was like, okay, so I said this one thing, but the reason I said it is... <laughs> preemptively outed myself on <laughs> shit that I said and then apologized for and the thing is like it never even nope. it doesn't even exist anymore nope it's they'll, gone they'll just have to wonder wonder what <laughs> what did she say <laughs> now I'm trying to remember like, what is the goss mm-hmm. um yeah so we're gonna do this episode and then we will put um probably the first couple of ridiculous do you guys get it? Ridiculous um, episodes. I did. I'm so proud of it. Um, we're going to put those up in this feed. So if you're sub- subscribed to Dumb Love, you will get those episodes. And then eventually you'll just just go find us and subscribe. Um, and we really hope you'll come with us. Yeah. Because it's going to be fun. Come along. Yeah. <laughs> See what we're doing over there. See what we're up to. <laughs> um, well, Jen, let's get into our quickies. Let's do it. Okay, so I am first. I'm first for the last time. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say this on every single thing. But okay, so this is from my favorite, The Good News Network, and it's by a writer, Andy Corbley. Um, So a 14-year-old named Xavier Jones was determined to make it to his eighth grade graduation, but his family didn't have reliable transportation. So on the day when it came, he didn't have a ride and nobody couldn't find a ride to his graduation. So he decided that he wasn't going to miss it, that he was just going to have to walk there. And this is a six mile walk. So he gathered up a friend and his brother and said, can you walk with me? Um, he was remembering something that a mentor at his middle school, which is called Yateman Middle School, it's in St. Louis, had told him. Uh, his 
mentor to- mentor told him if I if you want it you got to go get it and so he was like I'm gonna go get that graduation diploma um, so together the three young men walked over two and a half hours That's through a good yes brother and friends right yeah. through St Louis to arrive at the school and it just so happened that Xavier's mentor when they arrived was speaking at the ceremony. Um, his name is Darren Seals, and Mr. Seals heard that his student had walked two hours to be there, so he paused his speech to tell the audience. He said, um, I had to stop my speech and call him on board and was like, hey, everybody, get off your feet and give him a standing ovation. Everybody clapped for him. They like rose, and they were just all so impressed by this young man who walked all the way to his graduation. Um, and as it happened, the president of Harris Stowe State University, uh, Dr. Latanya Collins Smith, was at the graduation that day, and she was so moved by Xavier's like determination that she said, right then and there, she decided to offer him a ride to college. That's incredible. She said when so she like told Mr. Seals and he brought Xavier over and he was like, "You're getting a full ride to college," and he was just like what because he didn't know what that meant and so Uh he was like she said you got a full ride and I said to Xavier do you know what that means he was like they're gonna give me a ride to school Uh (laughs) I know and he said no you're getting a ride to college and Xavier was like wait I don't have to get a ride to I don't have to pay for college he said it just started hitting him so they actually offered him the presidential scholarship which is complete tuition and money um, for four years, which includes rent, textbooks, oh everything. Oh my God, that's amazing. So that's amazing. Not the end of the story, though, because after that, it came out that Miami Dolphins player, Teron Armstead, who grew up in the same neighborhood as, as Xavier, bought Xavier's family a minivan, Aww. an electric bike, um, to make sure that they could their transportation was oh no longer God. a problem i love that i know he said um Teron said that he was moved by Xavier's story. He was happy to step in and offer help to a boy who had lost his mother some years ago and was being raised by his grandfather. Teron said it's humbling, it's motivating, it's inspiring and about Xavier. So I just that's, love it so much. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. What a sweet, sweet boy. I know. Just sweet people seeing, you know, it's like... Thank God none of his friends were nice enough to give him a ride to graduation. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) And also just, I just love that age of kid and kids that age that that are not like jaded or cynical, that they're uh just like, I want to go to school. I want to get my diploma. I want to do, you know, like they aren't, they don't feel like, they don't feel like, oh, somebody's going to make fun of me for doing that. I just... I just love an open heart in a kid yeah. that age because it's like it could so easily be squashed out of them. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. yeah. Especially that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um, what do you got for your last ever quickie? Well, I'll tell you. I had a different quickie lined up, which also would have been a good quickie. But then my friend and fan of the podcast, Milani. Hi, Milani. <laughs> Milani <laughs> sent me a... Um, quickie that was just I mean if we're going to end yeah we are and we are and we are (laughs) we're gonna go it we're gonna go out the way we came in is is someone loving something someone loving (laughs) objectophilia yes finest I mean I think this might be the best one 
Honestly, I think this is really? the best one. All yeah. right. I mean, this is this is like a love story for the ages. Okay. Yeah. It's a deep, <laughs> deep love story. It's a okay. more of a love story than the first guy who loved all his cars. Yeah, this is more of the, they these people she has history. Okay. Yeah, okay. Let's hear it. Um or should I say they have history, her and her object. Um, so this comes from an article for uh, NewYorkDailyNews.com written by Sasha Goldstein. And it is about a woman named Linda Ducharme, um, a Florida woman. <laughs> Florida woman. A Florida woman <laughs> who is married to an amusement park ride that she named Bruce. <laughs> I thought it was going to be that she named like the thunder down under or something. No, so the ride is actually um, <laughs> the ride is actually um, called the skydiver is the name of okay. it. And it's like it's like a Ferris wheel but a little more dangerous. It's like a Ferris wheel but it's the one where the, the cart's like spin Oh, they're in like a down. cage that flips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. I was in one of those. <laughs> I've got, yeah. I, I think we all have puke stories. <laughs> yeah. What's yours? Oh, I was in one of those at um, like a, a Catholic school carnival. So it was like one that they brought in on the back of the truck and the cage came open. Oh my God. And we just like had to like full, like. Jesus. Put it back. It was very scary. Oh yeah. Those are always scary. Yeah. yeah I, I remember being on one. And the operator was like, just, it was just me and my friend Justine uh-huh. in it, just when I lived in New York, and he kept, he wouldn't stop the ride. Like, he kept being like, would you say one more time? And I'm like, no, seriously, like, you got to get me off the oh, thing. And he was like, what's that? One more time. And he kept doing it. And I was like, Justine, I'm going to puke. I'm seriously going to puke. And then all of a sudden, Justine was like, get me and she was like scared because she just did not want to get puked on and I was like I'm going to throw up and so like we were losing our goddamn minds and he finally let us out and I immediately just like ran to the side and started puking oh my god motherfucker! he thought he was so funny he was like, I'm going to get these girls yeah piece of shit anyway um, so carnies who knew <laughs> Um, uh, so they got married a year ago, and um, there was a non by a non denominational preacher who, during the uh, the ceremony, said, "I tie you flesh to steel." Linda told her story about her longtime relationship with this ride. Yeah, they've had quite the history. There was a TV show called um, "What Animism." Animism. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what does that say? Um, and so, which this show uh, follows several people who are also object lovers. Um, and the condition, again, is called objective sexuality. Or uh, objectophilia is yeah. another word that we keep hearing for it. But sh- uh, sh- Linda first met this carnival ride in Bruce. 1982. Bruce. Yeah. At the time, it didn't have a name. And she said that when she met this carnival ride, she just got this weird feeling that she couldn't explain. She said, my heart was pounding as we went up the platform and got on the ride. I felt like I was being taken by this ride. I mean, that's what rides do. <laughs> I think all of us 
feel that way but on the right yeah but i think she means it in a different way yeah i guess so she said that she had already known that she had a proclivity for objects Mm -hmm. um, because she had previously fallen in love with an air fallen in love with an airplane back when she was a pilot and she was also involved in an intimate relationship with a train in the past so yeah i guess she did she already knew yeah Apparently, isn't just like oh, I just like had an inkling. Like I one time saw like a, you know, a, a bus and thought it was kind of beautiful. <laughs> like oh no, you've had intimate relationships oh, with very trains. Intimate. So yeah, so she became apparently she became a conductor just so she could get close to this train. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told the TV show that I was seen in a romantic embrace with the train, and subsequently I was fired. Um, what? Like, so I what guess was she, she doing with the train? Doing it with the train. I, I mean, mean. <laughs> <laughs> how did you do it with the train? <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to like, how do you even like get your arms around to give it like a hug? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, was she just like? I mean, my son used to watch all those Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> and, like, listen, some of them were kind of hot. I mean, Nigel. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> some of them were real tough and like, yeah. rugged and ragged. <laughs> I'm kidding. I do not have objectophilia for Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> trains or any of his friends. So her family did not like that she loved objects um her apparently her mom was a very religious person and she thought the whole thing was crazy she told her that she was an abomination to god and um she thought that she was like possessed by a demon or something so this was a real real thing yeah it's not like that you know the mountain dew can guy right or the you know what else have we had? The ghost pirate. I don't think that was real. Or the lady that, that married her duvet. Like, that yeah. was like a joke. Or the guy that married a pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think this person is was, like, yeah, this for is a real. real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. So, I mean, there's enough. We hear, we read enough stories about this that it is, obviously, like, it's, there's a condition. It's named, like, people have real attachments to objects. Yeah. So, she met Bruce in 1982 at mm-hmm. this carnival and then she joined the carnival so that she could be close to the ride here's what i think is amazing is that this is like a determined person we could all learn something from her like she decided she loved a train she became a conductor she decided she loved a plane she became a pilot like and now she's a carny what can't this woman do right i know seriously never doubt her love fall in love with a bank you know yeah Uh, so she um so she would cuddle it at night when the carnival was like closed down um but then in 1986 a storm knocked the ride out of commission and then it was forced to go to move to wichita kansas for repairs um she was devastated she said she was completely alone she said i felt that i was dying from the inside it was very very lonely and so um she sank into a depression, but then um, 25 years later, a friend tracked down Bruce in a scrapyard 3,000 miles away. Wow. Yeah. So she um, she immediately like drove to go see Bruce, um, and she said that when she saw it, it was just a pile of steel trusses, but she said it was still Bruce. 
and she said, I was carrying pizza to him. She said, Bruce smells pizza, and there's the love of his life returning to him. She said, I guess she knows what he smells. And she said, it felt like I never left him. Um, so it, to prove her devotion to Bruce, she married him. And so, um, and she hopes to one day get the ride back operational again. And um, uh, she said, my goal is to spend the rest of my life with him and grow old with him and eventually get a piece of land where we can just be by ourselves. Just her and I mean, this is kind of every love story that we have told i mean those are like our favorite love stories too like when they lose each other lose each other and each other yeah 25 years later and but they're just right back in love right like they never left each other i'm just trying to figure out the logistics i wonder what bruce was thinking all this time you know yeah he's like what happened to what's her name linda yeah what happened to Linda? I don't know. She has legs. But he sure loves the smell of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think she now lives at the scrapyard? Or does she, is she just like she, allowed to visit? Did she take him? She purchased she, him and he lives like in her backyard on the trailer, like in a, near her trailer. Did you say that? And then I didn't. No, I actually didn't say that. The reason I know it is because I saw a TikTok Video. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Where we get all our journalists, I'm not gonna quote it. Stop. Although we've done that a thousand times in the past. Um, but yeah. So well, I mean, I wish them all the best. Ever after. I think we've sure. really come around on these stories. Like, they're not hurting anyone. It does seem to be a true love force, a thing, and. You know, all the best. Yeah. All the best, Linda and Bruce. Good for you. Mazel yeah. tov. I hope you find your land and get him back running. And then Me you could too. just ride him all night long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We've really Quick matured. <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for our last ever true crime story? I am. All right. Uh, so this one is actually, I think it's 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 been in the news quite a bit. And I had I saw it when it happened and was kind of, you know, kept an eye on it. Um, but it has come to like a conclusion recently. So I thought I would dive into it. This is a story of the disappearance of Sherry Papini. Do you remember this one? Um, I think I remember hearing a little bit about it, but I can't remember. Okay. There's just so much true crime. There's so much true crime. You can't, I mean, what do you do? Okay, so this is, I got my information from uh, Kiro7.com by Crystal Bonvillian. Uh, Multiple articles from ABC News by Tim Gorn, Emily Moffat, Glenn Ruppel, Sunny Antrim, Sean Dooley, Mary Ellen Rosendev Shishwau, and Ivan Pereira. Uh, and then also, also Oxygen.com by Becca Van Sambeck. So on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016, um, you remember something real bad was about to happen. Um, Keith Papini was getting ready for work. He gave his wife Sherry and their two-year-old daughter and four-year-old son a hug and kiss and walked out of the door. When he got home that night, he thought he would be greeted again by his wife and kids. He walked through the house calling for them, but he didn't hear anything. So he looked outside, weren't there either. At one point he was, you know, he was like 
they're probably all out running errands together. He didn't really think much of it. Thought maybe they're at the playground. Um, his wife usually picked the kids up from daycare. So he was like, he's probably with them. He used the Find My Phone app on Sherry's phone to see if he could figure out where she was. And it showed that she was near their mailbox, which is actually about a mile away from their actual house. So I, I don't know if it's a long driveway or just like if it's a rural area. So they just all had their mailboxes like down the road. Um, so he just assumed like, oh, maybe the kids went for a walk with her and they're getting the mail. They'll be back soon. Um, but they didn't come back. And he's just like waiting and waiting and calling her nothing. So he called the kids daycare. He asked what time Sherry had picked the kids up from school. And the woman at the daycare said, the kids are here. So Keith said he immediately knew something was wrong. He got in the car, he drove down to the mailbox, just hoping he would see her walking back, be like, everything was okay, but she wasn't there. So he drove around looking for her, went back to the mailbox because he looked at the Find My Phone app and it still said she was there. So he got out of the car, he's looking around, and that is when he spotted her phone and her headphones, which were like all tangled up. They had strands of her hair in them as oh if they had God. been pulled off of her head. Yeesh. Yeah, so he immediately called 911. He reported Sherry missing. He told ABC News, uh, knowing she didn't pick up our kids, there's no way that ever happens. She could drop her phone, but she would never in a million years not pick up our children on a time that she normally would have. Everybody who knows my wife knows there's no reason for her to leave. She was definitely taken against her will. Mm. So witnesses reported seeing Sherry in that area earlier that day wearing a pink tank top and jogging, which is pretty typical. Um, and so police launched a full bone search for Sherry with like hundreds of people from the community volunteered to help the search. And for days, Keith, the police, the volunteers scoured the area around their home in Redding, California, but they found nothing. After a few days, Keith said he had to tell Tyler, their four-year-old, what was happening. Um, he just said, son, mommy went running and she didn't come home and we're all looking for her. And he said, we just held each other. And I said, we're going to find her and we're going to get oh her my back. Oh God, that poor child. I know. I just, it's like too young to actually understand, but old enough that they know their mom's missing and, and something's enough, going on. it's going to affect them. Yes. Forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so of course, detectives, you know, the wife is missing. Detectives, detectives are investigating Keith, right? Like whether he was involved in Sherry's disappearance. Um, so he was questioned and he volunteered to undergo an hours long polygraph test, which he passed. But even so, it took at least nine days before police cleared Keith of any suspicion. So he was eventually... Um, cleared so the shasta county sheriff said we were going through hundreds of we we're going through investigating hundreds of tips looking at cell phone data he said that they followed up on more than 400 tips none of which led them to sherry so this just started dragging out it was now three weeks into the her disappearance the sheriff said the investigators are working three weeks straight nonstop, pouring their hearts and souls into this investigation but so far there were no viable leads. Sherry's cell phone was analyzed and agents found some, a couple of strange things that they thought mm -hmm. might be might be related. So two phone numbers were stored under women's names um, that they actually belonged to men. Oh. So they were later, they were identified, they were never identified publicly, so they were identified as Man 1 and Man 2. Uh -huh. um, Man 1 was um, a resident of Detroit, but he was actually in California at the time of Sherry's disappearance. 
he was he got in touch with authorities. He told them that he and Sherry had met in 2011 and had spent a weekend together. They had stayed in touch, sent like flirtatious texts to one another over the years. Um, he said that they had planned to meet up while he was in California, but they never did. Um, and then Mantu was another former boyfriend. Um, and he actually said when he was talked to police, he said that Sherry was an attention hungry person who fabricated stories to try to get people's attention. Um, he actually said that while they were together, that Sherry lied about being the victim of abuse from her family. And then after the two broke up, he told people she told people that he abused her. And he, of course, says that that is not true. So detectives spoke to um, Sherry's first husband as well, who was a man that she actually married for health insurance. Um, so this is now they identify him as man three. And he also said that Sherry had a history of lying. And some of her friends said that she was like crazy and wild when she was younger um, and that she would make up lies, particularly about being the victim of abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and Keith actually confirmed to police that there had been some infidelity in the past. He said, yes, like Sherry had been a wild when she was younger and he knew that. He said, but they, because they had children, everybody who knew Sherry knew she was like a wonderful mother and she would never leave her children. Yeah. Um, so he was like, I'm not under any, like I would like say, she yes. She might have cheated she might, on me, yes. but she's not going to leave her children. Yes, she would. Yeah. Yes, she has cheated on me in the past, but like she's never going to leave her children. So, yeah. and her family didn't have any doubt that Sherry had been abducted. They actually started a GoFundMe account. They raised nearly $50,000 in donations to help the search um, and to raise money in case ransom was ever demanded. So then Keith um, was contacted by this man named Cameron Gamble, who said that he represented an anonymous donor. Um, Cameron Gamble, actually, he calls himself an international kidnapping ransom consultant. So um, he and the anonymous donor set up a website and offered a large cash ransom, basically kind of to like bring out the kidnapper, uh -huh. um, if there was a kidnapper, if she had been abducted and was still alive. Um, and he said one of the big things was finding a creative way to get her story out there bigger. And so they were like, if we offer this huge reward, it's going to get more press and that then that will put pressure on um, the kidnapper. So, um, so investigators were like, we don't want this guy involved. And Keith was like, look, I have to do anything to get my wife home. So he said, for yeah. me, I was going to do everything I could to get my wife back. And if this was going to work, I was going to try it. So then um, on November 23rd, so this is now 20 days after she's been missing, Gamble posted a video online saying, telling Sherry's alleged captors, like, Ransom was now off the table, offering it to the public to find Sherry. So like he said, I wanted to make it so tempting that the abductor's own mother would have turned him in. Like we're giving, offering yeah. so much money that wow. anybody who knows this abductor will turn him in. So, but then the very next day, November 24th, before dawn, Keith missed a phone call on his cell phone from a number he didn't recognize. But soon after his home phone rang and it was a California patrol officer and in the background, Keith could hear Sherry screaming, oh my yelling God. his name. Yeah. So the police have received several <gasps> 911 calls about a woman standing or running in the middle of I-5. Um, patrol officers went to the scene and they found Sherry and she was about 150 miles from her house. 
She had a chain around her waist um, that one arm was bound to. She, there were like additional bindings on her other wrist, each ankle. Oh my God. Yeah, she was taken to the hospital where she went on, uh, underwent several physical examinations. She appeared to have lost a considerable amount of weight. Her long blonde hair had been cut much shorter. Her injuries were extensive. She had been branded on her right shoulder. Oh my God. Yeah, um, her nose was swollen. She had bruises on her face, rashes on her left arm and left inner thigh, as well as other parts of, parts of her body, ligature marks on her wrists and ankles, burns on her left forearm, and bruising on her pelvis and the fronts of both legs. So after learning that his wife was found alive, Keith raced to the hospital um, where she had been taken. He said at first he was not allowed into the hospital. Um, but when he was, he raced into see her. He said, I just wanted to hold her. We just had her. We embraced each other and cried together. So like, I was so happy. He's like, I don't know how to explain it. You're so upset, but you're just so happy. He's like, she's here. Yeah. He said, it made me sick that there are people out there that could do something like this. So while she was at the hospital, her clothes were taken as evidence and DNA testing later showed that two people's genetic material um, were on her underwear and sweatpants. So... Two people besides her? Um, no. So one of her own and oh, the other okay. of an unidentified man. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So once she was home, um, she was, she seemed to be very like skittish about being interviewed by police. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but eventually she allowed the detectives to question her, but she always insisted that Keith be allowed to stay with her. And so finally Sherry told the story of what happened to her. She said she had been abducted by two Latina women. Um, she said that their plan was to traffic her to an unknown man. She said she didn't know anything about the man, but they told her that it was a police officer. So that's why she was so like, didn't, wasn't sure about uh-huh. being questioned by the police. Yeah. Um, Cause she was like, I don't know who you are. This was yeah, um, terrifying. She said, she was often kept in a closet with a bucket of cat litter for a toilet. Um, she said that the kidnappers would play loud mariachi music. Um, they gave her little food. They beat her. They cut her hair. And she said they made her wear an adult diaper. And when she tried to escape the first time, she said that she was brand- that was when she was branded. Um, and she said she never learned the name of the man who planned to buy her. But... On the day that she was found, she said it was the younger of the two abductors who put her in the car and dropped her off near Sacramento. Um, And then at the time when she was found, you know, of course, this was a huge news story. Yeah. And Keith just said, like, I'm just focused on what is, you know, like making her safe. He said, right now, he said, I want justice. I'm just happy my wife is back. I don't have to raise my kids without her. He said that. At like af- even after she was home, she was still having like flashbacks to being captive. Yeah, of course. Um, and he said he just knew it was going to be a long road to recovery. Mm-hmm. So after her return in 2016, the case mostly went cold. Um, she was interviewed several times by federal agents, by police. Um, she gave you know as many details as she could, but um, but it was never. She always like she couldn't really remember everything, but. There were a couple times that Keith would contact the FBI and give information because she would have these flashbacks and she would remember something new. And so every time that happened, he contacted the FBI and gave them information. Mm. And then in September of 2019, 
Shasta County investigators requested that the state conduct a familial DNA search uh, to identify the DNA found on Sherry's clothes. Because at the time, they ran it through the FBI database, but there was no match. Mm -hmm. But now, that was, remember, like, right when everybody was, like, all the familial DNA, like, when the Golden State Killer was found from that. And so they did that test, and the results came in actually the following March, so March of 2020. Wow. the search identified a possible close relative to the owner of the DNA. And when that relative called person number two in the investigation um, was investigated, it was found that he had two living sons. And one of those sons was Sherry's former fiance, a man named James Reyes. Former fiance? Like, I guess before she was married to her husband? Before she was married to her husband. I'm not sure if it was like in between her first husband and Keith, but yeah. So... As authorities started to look into him, they found evidence of their former relationship. And then so they were like, let's let's confirm that it's him. So on June 9th, 2020, FBI went through James's trash and found a discarded green tea bottle and it matched the DNA. So they brought him in for questioning and he initially said that he had not spoken to Sherry Papini in years, but he eventually revealed that she had asked him for help. So Sherry had told James that her husband was beating and raping her and that she was trying to escape. She told him that she had filed police reports and that the police would not do anything to stop her husband's abuse. So. I should say at this point, the FBI, the Shasta County authorities, they all say that there is no, that she never filed any domestic violence reports. There's no evidence that Keith Papini ever um, abused her. And as like just, you know, I, who knows what happens in anybody's home, but she did have a history of telling, of making up abuse stories. Um, So James Reyes. I get it. Yeah. I think I think in closing of this podcast, okay. I'd like to say I hate women. <laughs> that if we've learned anything. <laughs> so um, James and Sherry had actually known each other since they were 13 years old. And they had lost touch for a long time. He had actually found some old photos in 2015 and sent them to her mom, like of them just as kids. And so she had reached out to him after that. And he said initially they called each other like kind of like regularly just catching up as friends. And then but eventually it turned to more. They started using prepaid cell phones to avoid getting caught. Um, And he said that they had made a plan for him to pick up Sherry on the day that she was allegedly abducted. Uh-huh. Uh, he had a friend rent a car for him and he used it to drive to pick her up. She opened the passenger side door and went down, like laid down in the back seat so that nobody would see her. Okay. Um, he said that they drove to Costa Mesa, which is where he's from. He said that aside from being concerned about her children, she was really quiet on the drive. Um, so once they got to James's house, they stayed there and Sherry never left the home for three weeks. James said he bought clothes for her and like went on, like went on his normal routine that she slept on the couch. Uh, he slept in the couch. She slept in the bedroom. Um, he said she bar- she boarded it up with like a particle board saying that she wanted it to be dark. He said that she spent most of the time in her room, but that they hung out together, hung out, as in quotes, um, and ate food together. And he said it appeared to him that she was like purposefully trying to lose weight. So he said that he admitted that he helped 
inflict her inflict some of the injuries that she had when she was found because she was like pretty beat up but he was like i never directly caused any of them but i did help her which i don't know what that that means like yeah and he said oh i didn't but he said he didn't do the branding so he said he helped her brand herself it was a wood burning tool from hobby lobby which is you know Uh so much less hardcore than they wanted it to be yeah so just before thanksgiving Sherry told James that she missed her children and wanted to go home. So again, James's friend rented a car and he drove Sherry home and Sherry tossed her prepaid cell phone out the window as they drove. And she bought a bag of items that she used to like bind her wrist and ankles. So she did that all to herself. James has actually told at the time he had told his cousin and his mother that Sherry was staying with him and he told them like she's being beaten by her husband so she's hiding out here and that was confirmed by investigators that his family did know and he told them like what he told them um and he said that like once he started seeing news stories about her disappearance like he was like "I, I didn't want anything to do with it but it was already too late so I mean FBI agents were able to confirm pretty much all of his story right And so when the police confronted Sherry in August of 2020 with the evidence against her, she again denied staging the kidnapping, Uh continued to make accusations about these mysterious supposed Latina women. Um, And when they told her that they had spoken to James Reyes and he had confessed everything, she stuck by her story except for that she slipped and said... I don't understand. There's no way this is James. He loves me. And at that point, Keith was in the room with her and he like looked shocked and got up and left. And when investigators followed him, he's like, I'm the idiot husband who stayed the whole time. Because just think about this is now 2020. This happened in 2016. So he's stayed with her for four, four years, years and just oh like my God. believed her. Yeah. People were like, I mean, there was a lot of speculation at the time oh that this God. was like a fake, a faked. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I yeah, obviously there were a lot of th- signs pointing to it, but ultimately like there was never anything proved until this point. And right. so he just believed her and he was just like with her while she lied to him the whole time. Um, so in March, 2021, Sherry Papini was arrested and charged with making false statements and mail fraud. Prosecutors said that her kidnapping cost taxpayers more than $300,000 in wasted resources, um, including money that she collected from California's victim compensation board. So like if you're a victim of of a crime, you can get money for like doctor's appointments and therapy and Uh she like and even just like cash payments to like help you get back on your feet and she took all that money oh wow so in september 2022 sherry papini who was in 40 pled guilty to one count of making false statements and one count of mail fraud she was sentenced to 18 months in prison um, which is actually double the amount of time requested by federal prosecutors she was also ordered to pay three hundred thousand dollars in restitution uh keith papini filed for divorce Um, And he, after the sentencing, he released a statement saying, my current focus is on moving on and doing everything I can to provide my two children with as normal, healthy, and happy life as possible. And the police said the 22-day search for Sherry Papini and her subsequent five-year search into who reportedly abducted her was not only taxing on public resources, but it caused the general public to be fearful of their own safety, a fear they should not have had to endure. Yeah. 
and especially harmed was the Latinx community in that area because years they were like getting tips of women who've met the description of these supposed inductors. So, you know, Latina women were just like being harassed and feeling fearful because this like white lady wanted to leave her wife and blame this group of people for what was ultimately a hoax. So, so nothing happened to James Reyes. Nothing happened to James Reyes. A really hard time that believing that he didn't know what was going on. Like, why would you? Yeah, I I helped and yeah. Like, why would you do that without asking questions? Right. Just like, why would you hurt another person? And like, why would you have your friend rent a car to go get her? And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't understand. All like none of that makes sense to me. Even though he told his family she was staying there, like that's still a cover up. You right. can tell your family that. Well, like, and then when I mean there was so much news coverage, there's no way. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, I'm glad that you know. Yeah. She was charged, but I think that like he had some wrongdoing as well. Yeah. There was so one thing that did come out during her. Um, before her trial was like, it's not, it was that she, of course she's like a big fat racist and oh. um, it, they brought up this 2007 MySpace page post where she was basically talking about um, how she was having some problems with uh, Latino kids at school. And she said, the chief problem was that I was drug free, white and proud of my blood and heritage. Um, she said, being white is so much more than being aware of my skin, but of standing behind skinheads who are always around in spirit as well and having pride for my country. Wow. So, you know, it's like, you know, just confirmation or confirmation that not only did she, she like specifically targeted this group of people and that right. she's just a, a horrible, awful human being. Wow. Yeah. Fuck her. So, yeah, if you guys remember that story, it's like the opposite. Do you remember there was that story of there was a girl in... This was, I think it was around the same time, which is what I kind of remember is that there were these two blonde white women who went missing. And the one woman who I, now I can't remember her name is everybody thought it was a hoax. They thought the husband was involved. And then it turned out she really was abducted. Oh God. And I mean, she was actually like sued by the sheriff for like, oh my like God. A, a hoax. And then this woman, this we did do okay, this story. Yeah. And then this woman who like. They spent so many resources on, and then it turns out mm. she was just a piece of shit, you know? Yeah, and that's the danger in lying, too, is, like, that then other people who are telling the truth are not believed. Yes, that's yeah. so damaging and fucked up. Yeah, and this isn't, like, I mean, who knows what her mental state was, but also, like, this was something that was planned, that was ongoing, that she has a history of. It just, you yeah. know, it's not like, oh, this is a person who just had a mental breakdown. Like, I have some, you know, some sympathy for that. But, like, the... She's just a bad egg. A bad egg? She's a bad seed. She's a yeah, bad seed. bad seed. <laughs> Sally. Jim, this is a bad seed. That's a real bad seed. <laughs> Good one, ma'am. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for the last <gasps> love story? No, ever I to don't be want it. To... <laughs> Is this the last ever? one ever? Yeah. <laughs> no more love no. stories ever? <laughs> no, I love you. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I am. Yep, I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay. 
Good. Well, <laughs> we're going to go out on a good one. This is um, another CNN.com Chance Encounters by our dear pal. She doesn't even know how much we love her, probably. <laughs> uh, Francesca Street. Oh, Francesca. Francesca yeah. and Sydney Page, you know? It's yeah, a the dream team. Real sweet love story. Grace Malaccio. Great name. That's a great name. I think I'm pronouncing it right. You were just in Italy. I so. was just in Italy, so I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm extra Italian. Yep. Now. Um, Grace, who was a recent college graduate in her early 20s, had met um, Australian John Heron at a party in 1983. Good day. Good day, John. (laughs) Um, uh, But apparently when they met, it was just a few days before he was leaving town to go back to Australia. Isn't that always the case? I know. So those three days were a total uh, whirlwind. And so John immediately fell for grace and then he extended his trip so that he could stay as long as he could wow um as grace puts it they were super head over heels madly in love but eventually john's visa ran out and he had to go back to um down (laughs) 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 and then after that uh, Grace and John's relationship was just writing letters back and forth to each other. And back then, it was like snail mail, and it would take weeks to get overseas, yeah. you know? So, of course, the physical distance then made, um, you know, an emotional distance because it took so long for them to talk to each other. Um, but Grace had had plans to go visit him, so she had bought tickets to go to Australia to see him, but she started to worry because like they were talking less and less. And so she told CNN Travel, I had a dream that I was making a huge mistake. I just had a really bad gut feeling I shouldn't go. And also she told them that she was not an adventure taker. Um, So, you know, this was all just like, I'm sure, you know, when you're young and you're you're gonna go to Australia, this guy that you only knew a little, you know, and you haven't really spoken to. Um, so she, yeah, that makes me think of, um, when I was 19, I went to, um, England. I was like over the summer of like my freshman or sophomore year of college, my friend Amy and I went to go visit these people we would work at summer camp with. And there was zero phone call arranging this trip. We wrote letters and we were like, hey, this is the time we're coming. Oh my God. Pick us up. But then of course, one of our like flights got delayed. And so, but there was no way to like contact anyone. And so then we were just like stranded at the airport trying to figure out how to get a hold of them. We had to like call somebody's mom's phone number because there's no cell phones or nothing. We just, I mean, eventually worked out, but like, I just it's can't. crazy. I'm, so, I'm like, cannot imagine putting my kid on a plane and being like, good luck over there. <laughs> no. Like, it is wild to me that I used to get, as a teenager, from Atlanta to New York City with a paper map. Yeah. As a teenager, by myself. Yes. And I just went for it. And now I can't get from here to Midtown without putting it in my Google Maps. No. I can't. Same. And my friend, whoever Marco Polo's with me, is yeah. always like, shut your fucking maps off. Same. I'm like, I can't. I don't know where I'll get it at what time. I need to know. Plus and traffic. Like, plus you never know when there might be a sinkhole. I think I'm exactly. on your side. Exactly. So... It's just funny. But anyway, so yeah, so she needed some reassurance from him. So she spontaneously called John 
And they rarely spoke on the phone because back then, long distance phone bills, charges were yeah. insane. Yeah, that's why we never called the, I mean, it's not like we didn't have phones. We just were like, we can't call overseas and afford a trip to England. So right. we'll just write letters. Yeah. And so she said that she, um, she just really needed him to say, you're doing the right thing. But when she called, he actually wasn't home. So instead his mom answered and she, you know, passed along the message and it took 36 hours before he called her back. Oof. Listen, that's a long time. Yeah. From international <laughs> lover. Yeah. He's coming to see you. Get it together. Anyway, so of course, so while she was waiting for him to call her back, her anxiety was like through the roof. And so yes. she when he finally called her back, she said, Should I come? And he said, If you want to. Oh, that's the John. worst, John. Come on, ambivalence. <laughs> no, like yes. I was like, I can't wait for you to come. You have to come. You must come. I love you. Yeah, no. So she said that that's when his nonchalance sealed the deal for her. She was like, then no, and I totally get that. Yeah, totally. And so um, she said, I didn't get on the plane, and so he went to the airport to get me to pick me up, and I didn't get off. I wasn't on the plane. John said, I did the wrong, I said the wrong thing without a doubt. And he said that he blames that on his immaturity. He wanted her to come. And he says now he just didn't know how to express it. And the long distance thing was hard. So, of course, when Grace didn't show up, John's friends all took him straight to the pub. And, you know, they all tried to make him feel better and tell him, like, "You'll, you'll find somebody else. You'll move on. But... John told CNN that he knew that he had lost something that could not be easily replaced. Yeah. Um, so a few days later, he called her to ask her what went wrong. And over a grainy connection, um, they both struggled to tell each other how they felt about each other. And then they just, it like, they weren't able to have closure, really, because yeah. they never really said what they meant and what they felt. And so at one point during the conversation... Um, Grace said, I know we're going to date other people, but we shouldn't marry anyone else. And John said, why? And she said, we're never going to love someone the way we love each other. Is the oh, wow. I know. It's so heavy. And so um, for months after that phone call, Grace was devastated. Um, but she, you know, tried to just like move forward you know she was just like i'm gonna move forward so what she did is she took the money that she was gonna use to go to australia she used that money to buy a car um because she didn't want to be tempted to change her mind yeah oh so she was like let me spend that money so i can't go even if i want to Mm -hmm. she just wanted to move forward um so the months then turned into years and they like would still talk here and there Um, John said, I would call periodically. One year I called and she got married and then I called again and her parents had died. Um, And sometimes John would call and he wouldn't be able to get through. Like one time he called and she moved and it was like hard for him to track her down because back then there was no social media. And Grace said that these, these calls every now and then were like bittersweet. Yeah, I was gonna say it was probably really hard to like yeah. move on from someone when they're you're still every once in a while they're in your life. Yes. Yeah. And so she said that um I she said, I would swear I'm not going to talk to him anymore. What's the point? Because it would just stir up emotions. Yeah. And she just wanted to move on. And she said, um, but every time he would call, I would take the call of course, but I would swear this is the last time we're going to talk. And then decades 
went on. Wow. And um, they both dated and married other people. They both had children. And then, um, you know, 22 years later, Grace said she had long moved on from this relationship. But even though she had long moved on, she still kept every single one of his letters. Mm -hmm. She said, I've always had them wherever I went, whoever I was with, however many times I moved, the things that he gave me and came along with me. One day um, in January of 2007... John ended up calling her out of the blue. They hadn't talked in quite some time. Um, and in, But in the time that they hadn't spoken, a lot had gone on. Like uh, Grace had recently separated from her husband, and John and his wife had also recently split. No, no wonder he called her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alone just, now. Yeah, yeah, just so. happened to think of her. And <laughs> yeah. He said, I said, we've broken up. I'm not married anymore. And then Grace said the same thing. Um, Grace said, that was really surprising that we were both separated. So they ended up talking for a while. They talked about the breakdowns of their marriage. Um, and then John had um, told her that he had heard of this thing called the webcam. And that maybe they could <laughs> video call sometime. So uh, Grace went to the local Staples and bought a webcam. Love it. And then uh, <laughs> they figured out how to use it. And then that's when they saw each other for the first time in 22 years. Wow. Yeah. Grace said that it took a moment for her to adjust to gray, John's gray hair. But despite the years, they both recognized each other right away. Um she said, it's funny how your mind tricks your eye. You see the same person from age 22. You don't see the person who's 45. You make 45 sound so old. Right? I'm like, it's young. Still We're young. You look the same. <laughs> yeah. And so in your mind, you still see the young person. And, and, um, and so from the minute we saw each other, it was super emotional, this almost visceral reaction. But it was also a little bit awkward. They didn't really have a lot to talk about besides, like, the marriage. Yeah. Their, their marriages and how their kids. And they kind of helped each other through that. And they, they kept talking over the next few months. And then they kept doing the video calls. And then they just felt really drawn to each other and their calls became what they said a, a bright spot in both of their lives oh. um she said i'd get home from work and we'd sit down and i'd be watching the tv and webcam was on and we'd talk for the night um so, oh, so they were like spending time together like just like doing mundane yeah, with the things webcams on yeah Aww. so um so then john finally said that he w could come to the u.s and they could reunite and at first she was hesitant um, but she um, she talked to her marriage counselor about it, and um, and her marriage counselor said, you know, it's probably a good idea for you guys to talk so you can get closure. Yeah. And so she said, this will be good for you guys to see each other. You'll never, and then you'll never see each other again. So it's a very safe thing to do. <laughs> You're not going to get into anything uh, complicated because how could you? You're so far away. She said that was her advice, and it totally backfired. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Grace picked John up from the Newark Newark airport in March of 2008, and when he uh, she picked him up, she had a bottle of champagne and chocolate covered strawberries, and um, she said that when she was waiting for him, she thought about that day that she didn't get on the plane. Oh, like oh, what if he doesn't come? Yeah, yeah, but it's like, what are you doing with that champagne and chocolate covered strawberries, girl? Let him bring that to you. Right? He didn't. <laughs> he didn't show you interest. Yeah. He was nonchalant. He said whatever. He used to make it up 
yeah. <laughs> anyway. I guess he did fly across the world. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let him bring that shit back. Anyway, so um, when she saw uh, John again, she said, it was like getting back a pe- missing piece of myself that I hadn't realized was lost for so long. Um, John said it was amazing and very emotional. It was like no time had passed. It was all very familiar and comfortable. They kind of just picked up right where they left off. And, you know, it was like they had spent, they had the same connection they did in 1984. It's like no time had passed. And so immediately they were like, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now what are we going to do? Because now that we're together again, how are we going to be apart again? And then while he was there, she reread um, the letters that, or they together reread all the letters that he had written her. And oh. they cried and, you know, um, they just couldn't believe that they let that go, slip right. away just because of one miscommunication. Yeah, but, you know, you know when you're that age and like, yeah, there really wasn't, there weren't ways to actually really communicate, you know, or right. see the other person or get a sense of them. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then she asked him, she said, do you remember when I said 22 years ago, I said we shouldn't marry someone else. And he finished her sentence and said, because we'll never love somebody the way we love each other. <gasps> he remembered. I know. It sounds like... <laughs> There, there's great communication there. Like, yeah, it's like it's crazy how he could remember that that sentence, but that he couldn't at the time like articulate like, I want to be with you. Yes, I just come. say it, <laughs> say the word. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's hella frustrating. But you know, everything happens in the time that it's supposed to. So anyway, so now that they you know lived on opposite sides of the globe, they're both going through divorces. The, another thing that was so hard for them was that they both had children. Yeah. I mean, they probably have youngish children, I'm guessing. Yeah, if that they're 45. On, yeah. And so they still, they lived apart. And then, um, but several months later, Grace ended up coming to visit John in Australia. And then uh, less than a year after that, John ended up moving to the U.S. and the couple eloped. Grace said it was a very emotional of their wedding day. She said, I was very emotional because we waited a lifetime really to say those words. And so um, it was also, like I said, it was um, bittersweet because it was complicated. Some people were hurt by their reunion. Yeah. Their exes were and their children were because they kind of felt like, well, so you've been thinking about this other person the right. whole time. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, and their friends thought they were going through midlife crises. Uh, crises? Crises? Crises. 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 <laughs> um, and then John, you know, because he's the one that moved, his children didn't take that very well. It was yeah. extremely hard. And so for a few years, it was they went through a, a rough patch. Not with each other, but with outside yeah you know you know yeah, things are more complicated when you're when you have kids for sure yeah um but after the dust settled they ended up spending a lot of time in australia and mm-hmm. in the u.s so cross-continental blended family so the children would all get together whenever they could and some of john's children actually like went to school and worked in the u.s oh, for okay. a little bit yeah and so uh john said what's amazing is all of the five kids get on pretty well together we can take them on vacation everybody gets on well we have a good time 
Grace said, we like to think that in the end, when you get past the pain, we made all of our kids' lives so much bigger and set an example for a great love story. Yeah. So today they've been together for 15 years since they reunited. And they've been making up for lost time. And uh, John said, it almost feels like we've never been apart. Um, They spend their time travel, lots of traveling, adventures, and experiences to create a lifetime of memories in a shorter, compressed period of time. And now everybody before that was upset about them getting together have all come around and everybody's pretty happy about the relationship. And John said, it, it's worked out the way it was meant to. Grace said, if we tried to carry on from 1984, we probably wouldn't have been mature, mature enough to get through that period to get to where we are now. So I feel sad, but I do know that I have the best of it now. So I it can't really be sad because it all worked out the way it was supposed to despite all of our mistakes that we made, including me not getting on the plane. So, it, I mean, it is, you know, while it is, you know, sad and that that one communication lost them 20-something years, yeah. but it, it's that's probably true that they probably wouldn't have. They were young and they needed to go experience things and live life and... Yeah, and um, think about how, the right time. how much more certain you would be about a relationship if you were away from it for 25 years, had been with other people, you had kids, you had a whole life, and then you came back together and felt the same thing. Like, that would be like, I mean, there's confirmation for you. <laughs> like, this is real. This is love. This is going to last. Yeah. Um, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I like that they p- kept in the messy parts. Yeah, Because that's real. It's like, yeah, it doesn't just all wonderfully work out. It's like people are going to be hurt and it's going to be hard. But that the fact that they knew it was true love and they persevered and made it work for everybody. Yeah. It's just really beautiful. I love that. Love it too. Good last love story, Jen. Last love story. (laughs) All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. Um, I think really the only, like the dumb thing is that dumb love is ending. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's hard. Like I feel a little emotional. I mean, I'm so happy. No more crying. I'm not going to cry. I'm not a pussy, Jen. (laughs) Um, no, I just, you know, I think like, what, what a journey. (laughs) But I do, I'm like, I think back, I'm like, you know, when we started Dumb Love, we barely knew each other. Yeah. And like, now you're one of my dearest best friends. And it just is like, I love, I'm just so happy that we're still, that we're like, we're not, this isn't the end of Jen and Sally. It's just the end of Dumb Love. Yeah. And um, so I love that we're like, we both agreed. We were like, I just, we just want to keep making things together. Just not this thing. So, Um, so I love that. And I love you. Uh, I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, same thing for something dumb. Yeah, I, this is the last episode. And it was really, it's such a, like I said before, it was a really hard decision to make because we love so many aspects of it. But mm-hmm. it was, um, at a certain point, we felt like it was unfair to keep giving you these episodes of things that our hearts weren't fully invested in right um you know and so we uh we just really want to bring you guys something that we wholeheartedly love and believe in and um i really hope you guys come along with us for yeah that journey yeah give it a give it a shot it's something yeah um i'm dumb is 
that this is the last episode and it's been quite a ride. Yeah. Um, but, and think, oh, it's, I'm going to really miss like, but now you guys can, I'm, I'm going to really miss all the stories you guys send us. Yes. I love, that's like my favorite part of the day is like getting a random email, like, oh, you should do this on your podcast or getting emails from like people we've done love stories from and, yeah. of, and then them being like, I listened and thank you for doing this story beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we've made some really amazing friends. Um, that we wouldn't have made without the podcast, including our friendship. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I'm i going to miss all of that. But I really hope that you guys will continue to send us your favorite, like, listicles mm-hmm. and top tens and whatever you want to talk about. Like, yeah. Like, we're still here. We still want to talk to you. We still want to hang out with you. Um, so what I love is you guys. I love you guys so much. Yes. Thank you so much for sticking with us for four years like that's amazing we you know jen and i were saying like one of the hardest things about making this decision was that like you know at least once a week we either get a message from someone like you know we know we took this big break and that was like not completely intentional (laughs) but we were gonna take a break as long as we did but um but you know, we would get, when are new episodes coming out? We miss Dumb Love. We're, we love Dumb Love. Or like, well, we do shows and there are people in the audience who listen to the podcast. Yeah. And that's just like people, strangers. <laughs> you guys, some of the people have never even met us in person, I which is know. just. That's so fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun. And so we're really going to miss this community. And we just hope you guys will. Yeah, I know we keep yeah. saying this, but like, we're still here. So we're just not, we're not just not doing Dumb Love anymore. So, yeah. which is really sad. And I know. Max is going to be devastated. I know. We're just going to have to get a new theme song he likes. Yep. Uh, But yeah, I mean, thank you guys so much. Uh, I guess follow us on this stream and follow us on Instagram and TikTok for uh, new episodes coming out of The Ridiculous. Yep. And Uh, yeah, and we will... We'll post all of the links where you can find us um, in the next episode, and um, and so you'll be able to like easily. No, I'm getting emotional. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's like the last episode of Friends, uh, where everyone cries. <laughs> oh man! It's all Jen wanted was not to cry I again. I don't want to cry anymore. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much. Do all of those things. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum 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 dum.